Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Faster Mai and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Sarah Hendy and on the programme this week we'll be joined by Jane Hall of The Engine House and artists Chrissy Moss and Sally Black whose work forms the space's first exhibition and we'll be speaking to textile conservator Jacqueline Hyman about the surgery she's performed on Manx National Heritage's collection of Napoleonic uniforms worn by Manxmen. Email me via spotlight at manxradio.com if you've any creative happenings you'd like to tell us about. And you'll find links, listen again, and our podcast on the Manx Radio website. We're joined now by the people responsible for the Engine House's first art exhibition. Jane Hall, a director of the Engine House and a creator of the Manx Art Directory, and artists Sally Black and Chrissy Moss. Yeah, it opened last Thursday and the weather wasn't too kind to us, unfortunately, because we had that horrendous flooding and torrential rain. But we got quite a few people through the door, which was really nice to see. It was a very nice event. And uh, we're going to do a couple of other events, hopefully, before the exhibition closes so that people have an opportunity to come along and, and see the show. Um, we're open anyway, 11 till 3 every day, Monday through to Saturday. We're closed on Sunday. Um, you can park in our car park and reception's tucked around the back. So don't be put off um, if you can't see where it is. Just park up and you'll see up the steps. There's the door there that says reception on it, a few flower pots outside. Push the door, come on in and, and feel free to help yourself to a coffee or a hot chocolate and, and walk around the show and enjoy it. Oh, lovely. Um, you've got a, a really nice meet the artist opportunity coming up. The 24th of November, which is Saturday, and it's again between 11 and 3 o'clock. Chrissy and Sally will be there, so you can have a chat to them if there's anything particular that takes your interest or that you want to know more about the art or a particular piece. Well, Sally, the last time we spoke to you, in fact, you were preparing for your next exhibition. It's lovely that we're here, exhibition time. You've been working towards this for quite some time. Um, I feel as though your your paintings have evolved in a slightly different direction. You've got new colours in there and stuff. I think what's happened is I've tried to abstract what I'm doing more because I have always, well, starting as an illustrator, everything was very literal. And so I decided that I needed to loosen up a bit. I mean, it's really hard to loosen up when you've been doing like six inch drawings that had to be exact for for a good part of your career. So they're getting bigger, generally. Um, and I'm trying to simplify them in that there isn't so much detail in there. And... I had a fabulous moment at a car boot sale where I bought a whole load of wonderful paint very cheaply. Because, well, paint can be really expensive and some of the colours aren't available anymore. So if you'll you'll see cadmium colours and um, you'll see some colours that you can't really get anymore. And, and those I found in the car boot sale, which was great. That really is a lucky find. So do you think that's that's influenced your palette again then? Maybe that's what I spotted. Um, you've got colours that perhaps we haven't seen as much of before because well, you've got access to Well, I, I have to say that I've been very mean with my colour in the past because it's, because it's so expensive. Um, and, so, and of course, some of these colours weren't available. But now I can, um, with the cadmiums and the vermilions, I've, I've had more opportunity to use a lot of reds particularly. Mm-hmm. 
And when we spoke to you last, you were really excited about just getting back in the studio and immersing yourself in it. Has it been a really good time preparing for this exhibition? Yes, it has. But but not only with the painting, I've been uh, working painting ceramics as well. Yes, I was hoping to ask you about that. Thank you for jogging my memory. That's an entirely different process. How um, how did that come about? What inspired you there? Um, well, my husband started making pots in the shed. Somebody loaned him a wheel, a kick wheel, and he started making ceramics. And I said, you make ceramics, I'll paint them. Because it's a surface to paint on. And I don't like the feel of clay. So I've never, I've never really wanted to make pots, but I've always wanted to paint on them. So... So he's doing the pots, I'm painting them, and it's just fantastic. So we've got a number of them down at the engine house, haven't we? Yes, there's a number of them sold already, which is fantastic. In fact, I might have actually bought one myself, maybe. (laughs) Um, For anyone who's not seen the exhibition yet, do they follow a similar theme to your painting work? I, I would say they're figurative, which is not my typical thing, and they're humorous as well. They're They're quite funny and nostalgic. Yeah. Nostalgic themes. I mean, I, I've always collected n- knitting patterns, and there's a lot of things to do with knitwear there. One of them's called the importance of a good cardigan. I mean, it's just wonderful. <laughs> That's, <great. laughs> That's lovely. Um, and it's it's quite interesting that um, although although you paint a lot of animals, your styles, your your style and Chrissy's style, that they're, they're really quite different. How did you come together to sort of bring about this exhibition? Um, what what sparked it? Just a friendship and a common background, I think. Mm. And then I said one day, Sally, would you like to do an exhibition with me? And then we sat down and we both came up with Engine House at the yeah. same time. Yeah, because oh, of I course we knew... it was Sally and it wasn't me. We both said, how about the Engine yeah. House? And, and uh, then we, we go and talk Jane. to Jane? And they did. I got a text <laughs> saying, would you be interested in putting on an art exhibition? And I sent mm-hmm. capital letters, yes, yeah, back. So, yeah, it's a really exciting. Um, I'm hoping to do more exhibitions through next year, uh, improve the lighting, um, which isn't perfect for this show, but uh, I hope to get that in place for next year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, watch this space. It's really exciting. We've got uh, artists in residence as well now because we've got Duan Moore and Anna yeah. Klukas who've taken space in a studio in the engine house so it's becoming a real center for arts artists exhibitions i have high hopes for it because with the sale being gone um there's not so many places to be able to show large pieces of work like sally's in particular and you know we've got the wall space to do that and because we've got different people coming through the door, not just coming to see art, people coming there for different purposes, to work, to meet people, um, for workshops, all kinds of different reasons, people who might not necessarily go to an art gallery to look at art, they have the opportunity to see fantastic art on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it provides a, a, more of an opportunity for artists to be able to sell their work um, because they're reaching that different audience, which I think is a very exciting thing to do, something I've been aspiring to do for quite a long time uh, with the art directory and trying to build those links and bridges between art and business on the island. Just as you say, it's work that's being exposed to a whole range of people who might not go looking for it. So ideal situation. Um, And Chrissy, although we haven't spoken to you on the show before, we're all very familiar with your work. I know our listeners will all recognise it. 
Yes, I'm probably known for Manx Pets in Pencil uh, to a lot of people. So I, when I first kind of started going here, I started doing a lot of uh, pets um, in detail, kind of pencil. That comes from this illustrative background that both Sally and I come from. So because I was a technical illustrator, I've always drawn in tremendous detail. And I still love the pencil. And it's nice to be able to work in different mediums. But I've kind of, in a way, self-taught with watercolour and got more into uh, trying out different, uh, slightly looser. As Sally was alluding to trying to go looser, bigger, uh, because we come from that tight background, it, we, we're kind of, you as an artist, trying to do different different things, try out, experiment. And I want to go a little looser, so recently with watercolours, and I've been doing some landscape, but a lot of birds, birds are quite a passion of mine, and I'm trying to get this loose style into doing bird illustrations. Um so it's it's fun um, to be able to try all these different things and there's lots of different things I think we both want to try, really. It's yeah. just keep working um, and, and trying to get that perfect picture, that <laughs> oh, perfect painting. The elusive perfect painting. But, yeah. um, but I mean, I think if, if you haven't already got there, you're very close because it's, it's a wonderful exhibition. It's lovely variety. Um, the different animals that you depict in your pictures, where do you find your subject matter? Because it's not often you sort of come by a flamingo. Oh, oh, you do. Everything that I... All the animals are on island. I don't think you're... So, I've been to Currugs Park. So, the flamingos were Currugs. Um, and all the birds are from around the island. So, I always try... Uh, there'll be observations and photographs that I will take. And then I'll take it back to the studio. And then I'll be working on... So, it's all all animals and all... all uh, the flora and fauna that's on the island. I don't think I've done anything that's not. From what but you I nearly remember. always meet the subjects, don't you? Yes. Oh, certainly. And with my pets, I like to be able to meet. And it doesn't always happen, but I like to be able to meet my subject. Mm. Um, I think it's the same with, with watching a bird. You've got to get the characteristics. And if you observe, I mean, as great artists, not that I am, but in the past have done, you, you, you watch... And you observe, you sketch, you look at the characteristic. And that's the same with the pets. I've found that if I've met the animal, you know. I mean, you know yourself. If I took a photograph of you now, one photograph, you'd say, that doesn't look like me. I'd take another, oh, that doesn't look like me. Nobody's ever happy with a photograph. I'm sure if these dogs and animals could speak, oh, that doesn't look like me. (laughs) So you need to get a whole load of photographs and really be the the artist needs to see and, and, you know, observe. Um, And then get, you know, that, that capture that onto the canvas or paper or... Whatever it may be, you both work to commission as well, don't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if people are to come down and enjoy the exhibition, and I don't know, want to see something like that of their own animals, you're open to that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah we're both um, illustrators that work to commission. I mean, a lot of mm. artists work to commission, but illustrators are kind of known for that, aren't they? Yeah. You're used to the way people um, set out the. Their wish list, really. They yeah. they tell you what they want, and then you work to that. Yeah, illustrators are used to working with a, a customer as such because we come from that background. I mean, artists will too, but I mean, we're used to working in industry. We had to work for clients who wanted whatever that be, and you have to work to to their spec specifications. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you meet? My sister bought a painting of Sally's and put it up in uh, Little Fish in Douglas. That was your first. That was one. just about my first painting okay. that I that I sold, right? And um, you know, this was this was before I was on Ireland, or just before, maybe. Anyway, not, anyway, not terribly long. Ago. And so it, Trish um, said, "You ought to meet Sally. Um, she's an artist, and she showed me the picture." And then 
You and said the same to me. Said you the same to me, Chrissy. Yeah. So, so we did. Um, we met for a coffee and yeah, got on really well. I mean, we and our work complements each yes, other's yeah, work. Yeah. Would be yeah. probably because we come from this illustrative background. I don't know. I don't know, but we do seem to complement each other. So mm. and bounce off each other for work and have similar. But we're all passion. But both passionate about yeah drawing and painting, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. Just. Just love it. And that, every also, day. we've both been tutors as well, haven't we? Oh, yeah, we've both taught as well. We've both taught. I forgot about that. We've both been mm. tutors. So, mm. yeah. And hopefully, we'll be taking some, giving some workshops at the Engine House. Yeah. Yep. Yep. In the new year. It's going to be all kinds of arty workshops. I know that June and Anna are planning some as well. Mm. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's ideal for that. Um, mm. It is. It's a great space. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. a hub. An art hub, isn't it? Exactly. It should, it should be known as that on the island. It really needs to, um, people need to recognise it. And yeah, so get down and, and, and just look around the space. You'll see what we mean. Because yeah. we were both taken with it when we walked in. And you mm. can't help but not be. Sometimes you feel a little cramped in galleries and you feel a little conscious. People always feel a little yeah, conscious looking definitely. at pictures, yeah. don't they? You feel a bit obliged. You're intimidated. To, yeah, you're a little yeah. bit intimidated. I, you know, I feel the same sometimes. But there you don't feel intimidated. There's enough space to just... Move wander. around and mm. wander around. Mm. It's, it's great for that. How long is this exhibition running for? Can you remind us of the dates again? You can come and visit any day, Monday to Saturday, between 11 and 3. Um, the Meet the Artist event is on the 24th of November, again, 11 till 3. Um, and then I'm hoping to do something else before the show closes, and I'll post that up on social media if I get the bits and pieces confirmed that I'm just waiting for. So so keep your eyes open. So There's a couple more key buying opportunities coming up anyway. Um, but other than that, if you just fancy having a wanderer and a look around, you're very, very welcome. Um, you can bring your children, your dogs, your mum, mm. your auntie, <laughs> your granddad. <laughs> and I think it makes you feel comfortable like uh, Chrissy has said um, and at home because this is a new way of working you know co-working is the way it seems to be going people want to be able to you know plop down on a sofa with their laptop on their knee hook onto the wi-fi drink a coffee have a chat with somebody um, it's, it's a lot less formal you know it's a really lovely atmosphere and um, a, a great sort of collaborative vibe going on in there well, we can't wait to see it. Thank you very much for joining us today. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. We now welcome textile conservator Jacqueline Hyman, who's been working with Manx National Heritage to bring her textiles expertise to the museum's collection of Napoleonic military uniforms. It'd be lovely to talk to you about how you first got into textile conservation because it's quite a, a niche area of textiles it, in a it, sense, a very important a one. But very, It's a very niche area. Um, what happened when I was still at school, when I was only 15, I, I went into my local museum, which was in Guildford in Surrey, and I was always interested in textiles. And I just basically said, have you got a holiday job? And so they said, yeah why don't you come and do some voluntary work? Um, they took me up into the stores. One of the first jobs they gave me to do was to take some old uh, embroidered samplers out of their frames because the frames were all broken. They wanted them checked over and what have you. And then I started doing a little bit of cleaning and a little bit of surface cleaning and then working on an old doll's house in the museum and thinking, do you know, I really love this. So I went back to 
to school and we had a careers teacher who was saying, well, you know, Jackie, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to be a textile conservator. And she sort of looked at me because I didn't come out with any of the answers that she thought I was going to give. And she said, oh, that's brilliant. She said, my next door neighbor is the curator of the London Museum. Why don't you come out and meet him? So I went out to her house one evening and she took me next door. Um, and then after that, I, I met the curator and I was invited up to London um, to have a look, look around the London Museum. And at that point, textile conservation, this is, we're going back to the early 70s, was just starting as a profession. And I was told that really you need to get a relevant degree, then you'll have to go on and do some postgraduate training afterwards. So I studied textiles both at O and A level at school. Then I went off to Leeds University and did a textile design degree. And then on leaving university, I was very fortunate to get one of very, very few positions as a, a conservation apprentice at that time with the North of England Museum Service. It was a textile conservation post. And, and I went in and I worked as an apprentice working on items from museums, but under supervision and going through all the conservation training. So after a few years, I'd already met my husband-to-be when I was at Leeds University, and, and Mike was saying, oh, gosh, you know, the museum service now want to send you off to the northeast. Um, I didn't really want to go there. Uh, we wanted to get married. So I said thank you very much to all my training and decided to set up my own business, a freelance conservation studio, which was a bit daunting back in the early 80s when a lot of businesses were closing and I think all our friends thought I was, again, start raving bonkers. But I was determined to make a good go of it. And that was the best thing I ever did. Worked with wonderful people, and 10 years after starting the business, my husband, Mike, actually resigned from his job and he joined me so that he could keep a background eye on all the finance side and doing all the background work within running a business, all the bits that I didn't want to do. So I could concentrate on the practical work and he could keep up with all that side. And really, that is how we've progressed right up to the present day. When you first got into textile conservation, it was only just being recognised as sort of a career, really. Well, well it was because, yeah, because it was very interesting because everybody had always been looking at painting conservation, furniture conservation, and all that side of things. Textiles were always the poor relation. They were always at the bottom of the pile, partly because most people think, well, I handle clothes. You know, we handle all the household textiles, curtains, bedding, and all that sort of stuff. We know what to do, but unfortunately, people don't know what to do and have caused a lot of problems through not no reason of their own. They're thinking they were doing the right sort of repairs and things like that, but actually causing more problems. So there is a right and a wrong way of looking after things. So that is what textile conservation is all about. It's preserving what's left of an original item and making it safe for the future, for, for future generations to enjoy. And that is precisely what I've done with all the uniforms at the Manx Museum is to conserve them. There has been a little bit of restoration in the respect that there were some buttons that were missing and I've restored those because I've made replica buttons. They are not original. But conservation means preserving what's left of the original and, and making itself safe. You know, restoration, you're putting back what is missing. It is actually totally different to conservation. So often those two terms get muddled a little bit. 
to be able to do what you do, you must have the broadest range of skills when it comes to um, to textiles and making and repairing. Uh, to, to make replica buttons is, is quite amazing. I don't know. It's are there any challenging? I can tell you. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, can you can you describe to us any other kinds of processes that you might need to use um, in in sort of addressing a particular piece? Well, when, when, whenever we get any item into our studio for conservation work, the first thing we do is to look at the item and then we work out all the different treatments it's going to require. Right from the initial investigation, we then go through testing thread dyes for fastness, different finishes on fabrics so we can work out the best way the item can be cleaned. That is if it needs to be cleaned. Sometimes they may have horrendous stains on them, blood stains, rust stains, other unmentionable stains, which I won't go into, which we had on some textiles. And, you know, you have to work out what's going to be the best treatment. Then we have at our fingertips all the different methods of cleaning, stain removal, smoothing of the textiles, because not everything is ironed. We very rarely use an iron on the fabrics. A lot of things are pinned out to smooth them. They're steamed. Some of them are even finger-pressed. When we've got very fine, delicate items, we just use the warmth of our fingers to press and smooth things. So every item is an individual. So we have to work out all the different treatments. And then sometimes things, if they're going into an ordinary home, they've got to be repaired so they're safe for use for our private clients. But if something's going into a museum, then it's got to be mounted. Often it's going to be framed. And even items that are going into stately homes like large curtains and things like that, they've all got to be repaired. So they are safe to be hanging on display because they will then be there for many, many more years to come. So as I say, every item is an individual. So we have to work out all the treatments that are relevant to that specific item. So, But our clients know exactly what's going to be involved because they get a very detailed report before we even start anything. And then they get a detailed report at the end and I take lots of photographs all the way along the process so people can see exactly what's been done. Wow, I wish I had a piece I needed you to restore just so I could sort of find out the magic about it all. Um, you, you say quite rightly that when it comes to looking after textiles, perhaps in the past we haven't known how best to do that, but also we know from our own textiles in our homes, our clothes, textiles, um, they don't last the way other materials do. So as you can say, I can imagine it must be quite hard to conserve them. A lot of the pieces that we enjoy in museums now, if the techniques weren't around to preserve these pieces, have we sort of come by these um, almost by luck? Some of them, yes, because people have had their special dress and people did in years and years gone by, they did look after their clothes because they didn't have the wealth of things we we have today we're a throwaway society you know people will go and buy something for, to wear on on saturday night and they might only wear it three or four times and they want something new where you had your best dress and that went right the way on th- on through your life um it would get let out as you got pregnant and expanded and then it would get altered as fashions changed as well so fabrics were expensive and people really looked after their items. And funny enough, even though they weren't cleaned as often, they wore all the different undergarments. So that's what was being cleaned, all your, your linen and cotton shifts and things, petticoats, where the silk or the really good quality fabric on the outside didn't get a lot of cleaning. 
So it's, but they were looked after. They used to do a lot of brushing on their clothes as well to keep the dust off and things. So it, it's a totally different way of looking after the clothes. And today people shove things in the wardrobe or what have you. People used to, if they did hang things up, put them on proper padded hangers or things were kept flat. And this is what we do in the museums now. We keep things flat in acid-free storage boxes. So there's nothing within the box that can cause problems with the storage of the textile. And we use white, unbuffered, acid-free tissue paper to pad them all out. So we try and remove any sharp creases and things like that because silks are the most vulnerable of all the fabrics. And if we've got a nice silk dress and it gets folded up in a box, eventually it will split along those fold lines. So we have to pad all the folds out to stop them from splitting. So it's just really just taking care, taking that extra bit of care and time. Again, today we don't have time to look after things. We throw things on the floor. We, we don't always hang our clothes up at night. I know I don't every time because I'm too busy, I'm too tired. But, you know, it's just taking that extra bit of time and looking after what we've got. So that's why we find that with the items from the museums, they are very, very special and precious, and they need that care, again, as I said before, for future generations to come along and enjoy, because it's not just the fabrics, and I find the most fascinating thing, especially with costume, is the actual way they've been constructed and put together. Um, they all, majority of them are handmade, and it's the skill of seamstresses and people in the past. Uh, again, this is something I'm going to talk about in the lecture on, on the Manx uniforms. You know, everyone's been handmade, and you can see the skill of the tailor in making those uniforms, and they are very specific to the dates because of the shape and style um, of the uniforms themselves. They're, they're not like today's um, garments. They don't have side seams. No, the seams actually go around the shape of the scapula on the back on your back they're all shaped you know you wouldn't have stood in the same way wearing those uniforms as we would stand wearing a jacket today totally different because of the construction and that's the fascinating thing when as a conservator i get to look inside and i get to handle and i get to find all the, the little hidden extras that other people don't see so for me it's very special <laughs> You can find tickets for Jacqueline's talk on the Manx National Heritage website. Don't forget to bring along any textile articles of interest you might like to show her. And that's all we have time for this week. Join me again next Wednesday at half past five. But in the meantime, you can listen again on demand or via our podcast, which you can download on the Manx Radio website. Have a lovely creative week. Slendy. you.